the truth and power of the Word of God. Because that's what we have in the Bible. Now, let me just mention this. We've sent out, as Kimberly said, tons and tons of Bibles already, and we have a whole lot, lot more to send out. So keep at it and keep it being given to the brethren and other churches of God and encourage them for also the other things that we have we can send to them. Now, another note along that line. The book by Dr. Ernest Martin on restoring the original Bible. We have some more of those, so if you haven't gotten that, be sure and do it, but beware. There are a few things in there that are of his own opinion and not according to the Word of God. Other than those few things, this is an excellent book. tells you about the history and canonization of the, of the Bible. Okay? Also concerning the Bible, I might mention we have the Holy Bible in its original order, the paperback. And this Bible is really top-notch as well. And we have plenty of those. Now, this becomes important because today they're doing everything they can to get rid of the Word of God. And they're also doing everything that they can to persecute those who believe the truth. The man who went and tore down the monument to Satan in the state house, I forget the state what it was, he was sentenced to 11 months or longer in jail. The media is silent of persecution as it grows worse around the globe, and they're trying to exterminate it, to bring in the amalgamation of the religions. Okay? And in Vietnam, a man was sentenced to four and a half years in prison for holding a prayer meeting in his house. Okay? Now, all the prophecies of God, as we will see, are going to take place. Now, here's one. Only one state has thrown out the Satanist abortion lawsuit, and that's the state of Idaho. And their law is, if there is a heartbeat, no abortion. Now, that's very interesting because by the time a woman knows she's pregnant, the baby has developed to the point that it has a heartbeat. We'll see what happens. Remember, like I pointed out last week, since Roe versus Wade was eliminated, everyone thought, oh, that's a great victory. And Jonathan Kahn gave so many programs on it, but he missed the whole point. Instead of one battle, we now have 50. And instead of 77,000 abortions a month, we now have 83,000 a month and going up. 
And we have a whole youth coming along that are dedicated to homosexuality and Satanism and rejection of God. Okay? So, let's look at what happened this week. I don't know how many of you watch the news, but I turned on the news on Wednesday, and here are these newscasters with this ash cross on their forehead. I was startled how many people had them. Okay. What does that show? It shows they are owned by the Pope. Think about that. Now, here's quite an article about Lent leading up to Easter. Okay. So here's what it is in Alexander Hislop's book. Quite amazing, written in the late 1800s. The festival of which we read in the church history under the name Easter in the third and fourth centuries was quite a different festival from that now observed by the Roman church and at the time it was not known by any such name as Easter. Okay. Then he mentions the Passover. Huh. That's what we are to keep. All right. And remember this. The reason we have the Passover book that covers so many different things concerning the Passover is this. Satan knows that if you keep the Passover and you have been baptized and received the Holy Spirit of God, that if he can get you to move a little bit away from the proper taking of the Passover, he can lead you further yet. And that ties in with what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is all about, which we'll hear a lot about, which is this. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay? So they have Easter. Lent was not observed, and that's what starts out with this ash cross on the forehead. That's Ash Wednesday. Can you find that in the Bible? No. But they think they're Christian because they accepted the false teachings of the Pope who thinks he's God. When observed in the first century of the early church, it was first addressed by the church at Rome during the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. when Emperor Constantine declared that all those who are Christians keep Sunday. Now, we're going to talk about, I don't know if we will in this message, but understand this. Now, I'm doing a series on church at home. All the difficult scriptures on the Sabbath in the Old and New Testament. Okay? Because there are so many things that are twisted and turned 
by the sleight of hand in the lies of Satan the devil. Now understand this. The Sabbath and time was established on the fourth day of creation and is linked to the sun, the moon, the stars, and the earth. The Sabbath day, the seventh day, was made holy by God himself. Do you think that a pagan emperor like Constantine can do away with what God made? Oh, well, we transferred it to Sunday. Lie. You didn't transfer anything to Sunday because God never moved it. See, because from now on, we're not going to be talking about patty cake and little tweaks of doctrine. We're going to talk about the truth and the power of the Word of God. Because all of the things coming in the world today are coming because God said they would come. We will see that. Then it says here that 40 days leads up to Tamez. Now, who is Tamez? Tamez was the son of Semiramis, who she said was the Messiah of God. And that he was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. And that's what the Catholics believe about Christ today. We'll examine all the details. That is a lie. You need to understand this. And if you're a Catholic, and if you're angry at me, and if you're offended at me, don't do that. Have enough guts and courage to get a Bible, get your stupid catechism, and look up the Ten Commandments in the Bible and the Ten Commandments in the Catechism, and you will see that the Catholic Church has eliminated the Second Commandment against idolatry. And every time you go into a Catholic Church or whatever, you are walking into a house of idols and lies. And the profession of Jesus in the Catholic Church is Tamez, not Jesus Christ. Okay? So much for that. All right? Now, let's see what Jesus said about our day. Let's come here to Matthew 24 because we'll see that this is very important. We're going to talk about the truth of God, the power of God, and we will get into some very difficult readings in the Old Testament, which people don't like to read because they are not pleasant.
But if you avoid them, does that make them go away? Does that eliminate any of the Word of God? Now, I heard Lyle say right at the close what Jesus said. Man, that's any man or woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not the Pope. Okay. Now here's where we are with this generation. Here's what Jesus says of the last generation. Some people are even saying, well, maybe that's 50 years off. Well, what if it's not 50 years off? What if it's closer than you think? A lot of other people said, oh, well, if we get Trump in there, he'll straighten it out. You think he's going to abolish abortion? Well, it's going to be just like Josiah. We'll have a time of respite. You go read what Josiah did. He destroyed all the idols. He took down all the homosexual tents around the temple of God. He, he took all the leaders, called them to the temple, and made them stand before God at the pillar of the king and swear to God that they would enforce the laws of God and stop their idolatry. You think Donald Trump is going to do that? See, because everybody is looking at the effects and not the cause. If you don't look at the cause, which is sin and Satan and evil people in high places, just like Paul said there in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. You know nothing. I don't care if you have a hundred PhDs strung out after your name. You are a product of this world, and this world is owned by Satan the devil. Okay? And we are living in the last days. Let's read what Jesus said here. Okay. Verse 34. He says, truly. Now that means in truth. I'm telling you the truth. So listen up. This generation, that is the end time generation, shall in no wise pass away until all of these things have taken place. Why? Because the word of God is true. The word of God will be fulfilled. And the word of God is judging the world right now for what God is going to do, and it is coming. Okay? Now notice how sure that the words of Jesus Christ are. And I want all of you to think about this in relationship to the statement that is made, well, Jesus changed the law. Jesus did away with the law. 
Now, if you go to church and hear that, or you watch Daystar, TBN, oh, by the way, they are all controlled. If they don't preach what they want, you're never going to get on Daystar or TBN. And if you want to get on any of the other stations that are owned by any of the media corporations in America or in the world to tell the truth, you will never get there because they won't let it be on their programs. So that means it's incumbent upon all of us, all the ministers, all the elders, all the brethren, to uphold the word of God. Okay? Now notice. The heaven and the earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Never! Now who was Jesus? John, the first chapter, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. Christ was God manifested in the flesh. And that's the whole purpose of what we're going to study about leading up to the Passover and taking the Passover. Okay, let's see something else about the word of God. Let's come here to Hebrews, the fifth chapter, because this will be very important for us to really grasp. See, that's why we have the Bible. That's why we are giving it at no cost to people. That's the most important thing that we can give to them. Hebrews 4. Let's just read one one verse ahead of time, verse 9. And this shows that for the people of God today, New Testament Christians, the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, is the day to keep. There remains, therefore, Sabbath-keeping for the people of God. So if you consider yourself a Christian and you keep Sunday, you're a fake Christian. Now, you may be good according to the world. You may be honest according to the world. But remember this, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is Satan's way. And you cannot take the good from Satan's church Satan's way and crossbreed it with the truth of God because it will all collapse. All right? Now, verse 12. Talking about the Word of God, the truth and power of the Word of God. So here it is, right here. The Word of God is living, as Lyle said, spirit and life. Okay, and powerful, because everything that God said is going to do, it will happen. Okay, and sharper than any two-edged sword, because it does something to the heart and mind and your very person and your being when you come to understand the Word of God. It convicts you of sin so you can repent. A lot of people say, well, God is love and he loves us and God is grace and we have his grace and we have nothing else that we need to do. Huh. Question. Do you love God? 
Oh, you want the love of God, but you don't love God. Do you love God? How do you demonstrate that you love God? What is in your life that shows that you love God? Well, John wrote this in 1 John, the fifth chapter. Hereby we know that we love God when we love the children of God and keep his commandments. That is New Testament doctrine. All right? The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder both the soul and the spirit, and both the joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. That's how powerful the Word of God is. No other book can do that. No other book can touch your conscience. No other book can make you aware of the true God. No other book can lead you to the true God, nor show you how to be in contact with Him, nor show you what He's going to do to grant eternal life to those who love Him. Oh, Cor. Now then. Let's look at this, and we'll finish and take a little break here. Verse 13. Listen to this. There is not a created thing that is not manifest in his sight. Not a single thing. Why? Because God made it all. See? Everything that there is. The smallest thing that we cannot even see from whence we came. To the greatest amount of stars and galaxies and the heavens above. To everything on the earth and in the water and in the air above the earth. And sustaining and making it go and everything like that for mankind. God did it. There is not a created thing that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we must give account. Everyone is going to give an account to God. No one is exempt. Okay. Now that's how powerful the word of God is. Okay. Now he gives us some encouragement here so that we know there's hope. So we know that there is forgiveness. So that we know we can come to God. But we have to come to God on his terms and these are his terms. Verse 14. Therefore having a great high priest who has passed into the heavens. Okay. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we should hold fast to the confession of our faith, for we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with our weakness. He knows what the flesh is because he became flesh. In the likeness, homoyamas, meaning the exact sameness of human nature. 
that we have. And we're going we're to read a little bit about that in just a bit. Okay. But one who was tempted in all things according to the likeness of our temptations, yet he was without sin. So therefore, we should come boldly to the throne of grace, not run away and say, oh, God is mean. Really? You think a hundred million dying in World War I between the war and the, and the Spanish flu is not great sorrow and death? And the hundred million that died in World War II? Huh? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there you see the strength of God, the love of God, the condemnation of sin, the forgiveness of sin, and all of this together. So now we're going to take a break and we'll come back and then we will look at some things of how God reveals himself in his word to the prophets, and then hence to us today. And remember this, never in the history of the world have so many people had the Bible available to them to understand it than at any time in the history of the world. Nor has it been translated in more languages than it has today, over 3,000. So God figures that in to what he's going to do in the end times. And remember, Jesus said that the end times will be the worst that it will ever be from the creation until this time. That's how powerful the Word of God is. Take a break. We'll be back. Now let's continue on with the truth and power of God's Word. Let's see how absolute that it is. And how. And we know. But we've got to emphasize and understand that as well. Okay, let's come to Matthew 5. We've been here before, but let's read it and let's understand it in terms of what we need to cover in these days that we're living in. But before we get there, let me tell you what the latest knockdown, drag out, and stealing going on in the cities where the immigrants are there. They are there to take down this nation. They run up to people who have a smartphone. They yank it out of their hands, knock them down on the ground, run away and jump in a car, and take all your money out of your account. And then they send the phone to hackers and they know everything about you. 
right? I'll let you think what that's going to lead to. Come to Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus is concerned with what we think and do. See? Like Lyle said, let this mind which was in Christ be in you. All right? Here's some instruction, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophet. But isn't that what they say? Isn't that what they claim? Huh? I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, that fulfill doesn't mean to fulfill it, to end it. That means to like with a glass of water, you fill it to the full. In other words, you increase it. You don't diminish it. Okay. Now notice verse 18, just so you get it clear. All right. For truly I say to you until heaven and earth shall pass away. Still here? You on the earth? Yes, indeed. One jot or one tittle shall in no way pass from the law until everything has been fulfilled. So has everything been fulfilled? Is the kingdom of God on earth? No. All right. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, whoever shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so shall be called least in the kingdom of God. That's what God thinks about all of the cartoon preachers that's on television, that's on radio, that stands in the pulpit on Sunday morning. Okay? But whoever shall practice and teach them, that one shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right? Let's look at something else that God does. When God intervenes, he makes himself known. That goes clear back to creation. Did he make himself known to Adam and Eve? Yes. They were perfectly created. They had a language within their mind. They could converse back and forth. God taught them. How long were they in the Garden of Eden before Satan was let loose? We don't know, but it had to be quite a length of time. Because God was not going to bring judgment upon them until they had the knowledge of what they needed to do. All right? Then you know the rest of the story, all Satan came in. Okay? And that brought evil to the whole world. And then it got so evil that they were chasing down Enoch in, generation, in Genesis, the fifth chapter, and God had to miraculously remove him before he was killed. He died later on. Then we come down to the time of Noah, and it says that every thought of the mind of the man, every individual was only evil all the time, continuously. So the flood came. And then we have the covenant with Abraham. Now Abraham was so righteous and so faithful. 
And this is the attitude we need to have, because it says there in Galatians 3 that if we are Christ, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Everything else in the rest of the Bible flows from Genesis 15. Everything. Flows down to the children of Israel, down to Christ coming in the flesh, down to the New Testament church, down to the condition of the world at the end of time. Okay. Now, let's come to Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. Now, we have a lot of prophets online. Oh, we got Facebook and we have, have uh, all of the, the digital channels for everyone. So he says here, verse 27, about the preachers, deceit of their own heart. Nope, verse 26, let's go there. <laughs> you got to get it in context so you get the whole thing. How long shall it be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, who are the prophets of the deceit of their own heart? See? The way you understand prophecy is through the Sabbath and the Passover and the Holy Days. With conversion and the Spirit of God in your mind. And if you don't love God and keep his commandments and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ, as Lyle brought out, you will not understand prophecy. And no one will. That's why we have the series on Daniel and Revelation. It is complicated, it is detailed, it is based upon the calculated Hebrew calendar, and if you don't have that, you better write for it and you better get it. Because there are false prophets within the church of God speaking things they ought not speak. And not speaking things they should speak. Verse 27. They scheme to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell each one to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. Now, Baal is the sun god, and Sunday is the sun god's day. Right? How many times must that be preached? How long must that be said? But look at Look at what happened to the church of God in our time. And I was branded and castigated when I resigned and stood for the truth. And I said in that message, God inspired me to say, if there is not someone in Pasadena standing in the pulpit telling the people to amend their ways, that the forces would be let loose which would tear the church asunder. Question. Did that happen? Yes, it did. Took 12 years. But did it happen? Yes, it did. And it's still suffering from it. So God says, right here, 
Verse 28, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream, but he who has my word. We got it right here, right? All of it. The complete word of God. What a great blessing. What a great privilege. What a great marvelous thing that it is. And all of us who are elders and ministers would better be about our business to learn it, to know it, to understand it, to memorize it, to live by it, to preach it with conviction, with truth. Because we're facing times that we're going to have to be strong in the Lord like we have never been. All right? He who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. Don't bring in your own ideas. Okay? Don't bring in the good of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and try and marry it to the word of God. That's what they've all done in the false Christianity in the world. So God says this, Is not my word like a fire? Huh. You get too close to the fire, you get burned. What is the unpardonable sin deserving of? What does the word of God say? The lake of fire. Is that the word of God? Yes. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? So then he says, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets who steal my words, each one from his neighbor. I'm Behold, I'm against the prophets who use their tongues and say, he says, when I did not say. Okay. Now then, let's look at how God deals with people. Continuing with that. When God revealed himself to the children of Israel to take them out of Egypt, how did he reveal himself? By judgment against Egypt, right? With all the plagues, one after the other, one after the other, one after the other, all of the plagues. And the final one was what? The death of the firstborn. And then the first introduction to God on a personal basis was the Passover. Correct? Yes. Then he took them out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They rebelled along the way. They came to Mount Sinai, and God told them that he wanted them to be his people. You find that in Exodus 19. Okay? Let's turn there. Exodus 19. Let's read it. These are the words of God. This is what he said. Now, God always gives us are we going to do it? Do we believe him or do we not believe him or what? And remember how many there were that came out of Egypt. So this was quite a manifestation that took place. Okay. Here's what God said to Moses. Verse 3. Moses went up to see God on Mount Sinai. 
Exodus 19 and verse 3. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain and said, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and to the children of Israel, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I brought you on eagles' wings to, to myself. Now therefore, if... Now note this, because this is the most important thing in our relationship with God. See? Doesn't it say man is to not live by bread alone, but by every word of God? Yes, indeed. Here it is if. God always makes it conditional because we have free moral agency and we must choose. If you will obey my voice indeed. Now we'll see that all through the prophets that we're going to cover that everything that is coming upon them is because they did not obey the voice of God. Okay? And keep my covenant. Now, the covenant means everything that God has said that you are to do, and how you are to do it, and when you are to do it. Okay? Then, so we have the if and we have the then. Right there. You shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priest and a holy nation, and these words you shall speak to the children of Israel. Okay. So this is the proposal. Very similar to a marriage proposal by a man to his future wife. Will you marry me? No terms, no conditions, right? <laughs> and you don't know what it's going to be. And she says yes, and he says yes. Bang. They're married. Oh, but what are all the laws and rules of marriage? Huh? That all comes into it. All right. So all the people said yes. God said prepare. And then the greatest event that happened to this large number of people on the day of Pentecost, God came down on the top of Mount Sinai and spoke the Ten Commandments. And all the people heard this was God. Okay. And they didn't say, thank you, God, for all these words. Oh, we want to we wanna love you and keep your, your commandments always. They said, no, we're afraid, Moses. You go speak to God and you tell us. You know the rest of the story there. You know all the rebellion that they, they had while they were in the in the wilderness wandering around. You know, when they came into the land and they conquered the land. And then after Joshua and all the elders die, what is the first thing they do? Judges the, or Joshua the second, judges the second chapter, rather. They go after Baal and Ashtoreth. Same thing they did in the wilderness with the golden calf. All right? So let's come to the book of Isaiah. 
Let's see how God appears when he has a message for the prophets to preach so that they know that this is from God. Not like some idiot on Facebook saying, God spoke to me, you lying wimp. All right. God didn't speak to you. God spoke to the prophets. How did he speak? He wanted them to know that this is God Almighty, the all-powerful God. Okay. So here, chapter 6. He had a vision. He saw the seraphim. Verse 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now you tie that in with Revelation 4 and 5. See? Because we're going to see every time God has a whole bunch of prophecies that he wants, and they fill various other aspects of time from the time they're spoken to the time they're fulfilled, and there are type and anti-type. There are repeated fulfillments of them. There are blessings and curses in them. All of that comes from God. But God wants the prophet to know. And for all of us who have the word, and for all of us who are teachers and preachers, the word of God is what must be spoken. Now then, verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See? God wants the prophets to see him. Lest they preach their own words. So then, one of the seraphim flew to me, having a live coal in his hand that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and you, your sin, is atoned for. And then the message came, Lord, what? Shall I say? Then he said, I will tell you. Let's come here to Jeremiah, the first chapter. God himself made himself known to Israel, and they turned their back on it. To Isaiah, and he preached the word of God. And now to Jeremiah. Now, this is very interesting because Jeremiah was the son of a priest in the town of Anathoth. Let's pick it up here in verse 4, chapter 1. All right. Now, Jeremiah was a special choice of God. And he had a very difficult ministry to fulfill to warn the people of Judah and Israel of the things to come because of their sins. And remember, every person's way is right in their own eyes. And when sin enters in like we see today, 
dedicated to evil, dedicated to transgenderism, dedicated to Sodom and Gomorrah, dedicated to Satan the devil, dedicated to nerdy, nasty politics, and all of that comes because of the sins of the people. And the sins of the people lay at the footstep and the door of all those ministers who claim to be Christian but are fake liars. They have created the atmosphere of lawlessness by saying the laws of God have been done away. Okay. Likewise here with the book of Jeremiah. God wanted Jeremiah to know, I, God, have selected you. All right, so he tells him. Verse 4, And it came to pass, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the belly. Now, what does that mean? That means that the instant that he was conceived in his mother's womb, God said, he is the one. Then he was formed and born and everything like that and brought into the world. He says, before you came forth out of the womb, I consecrated you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Not just to Judah but to other nations. Then I said, now he must have been probably about 17 or 18 at that time, maybe maximum 20. Then I said, ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to him, do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all that I shall send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Now we're living in the same time today. There are a lot of things we need to say, a lot of things we need to speak that come from the Word of God, that need to be told to the people because of what is coming. Because remember, Jesus said, the times will be the worst that there has ever been from the creation of the world. What is that going to be like? See, we can't choose in what age we're going to live. We're here. We're at the start of the end. How long will it be? We don't know. But we better be about doing what God wants. All right? So God said here, verse 8, Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And there were times when Jeremiah didn't think that was so, especially when he was thrown into the sewer. And the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Ha! Huh. Same thing with Isaiah, Right? Only instead of a coal from the altar by a seraphim taking it and touching his lips, God himself did it. And the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words into your mouth. 
See, I have this day set you over nations and over kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, and to build and to plant. What a mission statement that is, huh? Think about that. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a rod of an alder, of an almond tree. And he said to me, you have seen well, for I will watch over my word to perform it. And that is through you. Okay. So then he told him what he was going to do. All right. Let's come forward here. Jeremiah chapter 7, he stood at the temple. Okay. Here's what he said. He gave them warning. They had warnings for 20 years before they had all the trouble. But would they listen? And what did they do? They came to the temple of God, worshiping other gods. And King Manasseh set up the homosexual booths, the host of heaven, the altar to Baal, the king in the temple area. So he goes to the temple, and God said to him, verse 2, chapter 7, stand at a gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, who enter in through these gates to worship the Lord. There it is right there. God gives warning. We are to give warning now, even if it takes 10 years or longer. We must give the warning now and to the churches of God. We must give the warning now because the sin of the world is going to grow exponentially. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. So he gives them a choice. What do you want? See? So then he says, do not trust in lying words. See, they weren't trusting in the words of God. They were trusting in the words of the false prophets. And don't come in here saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. And that's exactly what people think. That's why the Jews are so just, how shall I say, hell bound to build a temple because they think that the temple is going to save them. It's not. The Jews idolize the temple. They don't worship God. They reject Jesus, the true Messiah of God, with the exception of a few Messianic Jews who still 
cannot get rid of the traditions of the elders. Right? Verse 5. For if you thoroughly, now you look at that word thoroughly, what does that mean? Absolutely, completely. God doesn't want any half-heartedness. God doesn't want anyone saying, oh, well, I'm weak, I can hardly make it. Well, go to God and get a little strength and stand up like a man or woman and do what God says to do. Okay? If you will thoroughly amend your ways and your doing, if you will thoroughly execute judgment between man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, huh? Abortion? Isn't that the most innocent blood? Well, they didn't have the abortion like we have today. They sacrificed the children to Moloch. Nor walk after other gods to your own hurt. Then, see, God says, don't do all of these things, and I'll bless you. But they say, no, 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 God. We'll be good. You bless us because we profess your name. We're standing here in the temple. Or like they say today, we are grace and we don't have anything to do. And Jesus has kept the law for us. All right, that's a pack of lies. All right. He says, then. Okay. Now, God's choice for us today is, if you will love me and keep my commandments, and if you will keep my word, and if you will love me with all your heart and mind and soul and being, I will give you eternal life. Quite a difference, huh? Look at the stakes for us today. All right. He says, then I will cause you to dwell in this place. Or for us, then I will cause you to live in the kingdom of God, and you shall be priests and kings for me to rule the world. Okay. In the land that I gave you your fathers forever and ever, behold, you trust in lying words that can not profit. That's what we have today. Look at the whole thing. Everybody's trying to solve the problems, but they don't know the central problem is rejecting God. All right? Now let's come to Jeremiah 16. Okay? Now he had a tough message to bring. It wasn't pleasant. Jeremiah didn't feel good a lot of time because of what he had to say and what he had to bring and what he had to preach, what he had to tell the people over and over and over and over again. All right? So Jeremiah 16, God told him, don't, don't take a wife. It's too dangerous at this time. Okay. Verse 3. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and concerning the daughters who are born in this place and concerning their mothers who, are, who bore them and concerning their fathers who beget them in this land. 
That's what it is today. Who are the ones that are going to suffer? The youth, the young adults, as well as all of the senior citizens. Okay. They shall die grievous deaths of disease. They shall not be mourned, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be dung on the face of the earth. Think about that. Did that not happen in World War II? Did we not see how many thousands were killed and shot by the Nazis and put into these great mass pits? You would think that the Jews would learn, but they haven't learned. And you know why all of this comes on the Jews the first and in such a terrible way? Because they judged themselves when Pilate was ready to let Jesus free. And they said, crucify him, crucify him. Okay. They said, what for? He says he's the son of God. Then Pilate got all afraid. Then he came back, and he released Barabbas. And what did the Jews say about crucifying Christ? They brought the judgment on their own selves. What was it they said to Pilate? Because Pilate washed his hands and said, I'm innocent. They said, his blood be upon our, our heads and our children's heads. They judged themselves, and God has brought the judgment on the Jews in every generation of time down to this day, and they still do not understand what they have done. And they always blame the enemies. Oh, well, it was the Babylonians. Oh, well, it was the Assyrians. Oh, well, it was the Romans. Oh, well, it was whatever army. And in our day, oh, it was the Germans. Huh. Remember God stirs up the enemy? And after he's done doing the work that God wants him to do, he turns on the enemy and takes care of them, right? Isn't that the way God works? What's going to happen in this age? Hey, what's going to happen? All right, let's read on. This is quite something. Verse 4. For they shall die grievous deaths, and they shall not be mourned, nor shall they be buried. And they shall be as dung on the face of the earth, and they shall be destroyed by the sword, by the famine, and their bodies shall be food for the birds of the heavens and for the beast of the earth. You know, Jeremiah hears this. Okay. For thus says the Lord, do not enter to the house of the morning and do not go in to weep 
nor mourn over these, for I have taken away my peace from this people. Even loving kindness and mercies. That's what this generation is facing. We must warn them. And we must warn the brethren and churches of God wherever they are that these things are coming. All right? So he says, Both the great and small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, nor shall men mourn for them, nor cut themselves and make themselves uh, bald for them, nor shall anyone offer food to them in mourning to comfort them for the dead, nor shall anyone give them the cup of comfort to drink for their mothers also. You shall not go into the house of feasting and sit with them to eat and to drink. Okay? Well, that's quite something. He told Jeremiah, you don't go in and associate with any of them. You're a prophet of mine, and you are to speak my word. Okay? Verse 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will cause the voice of mirth to come to cease out of this place before your eyes and in your days, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. And it shall come to pass when you declare to this people all these words, and they shall say to you, here's what they will say, and I know it is coming. Even by bringing this message, there will be someone out there say this very thing right here. Why has the Lord pronounced all these great evils against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we should have committed against the Lord our God? And you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord. And you have walked after other gods. What is the God today? Digital. Fake intelligence. That's nothing than the accumulation of human knowledge from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil condensed down into multiple computers. Wait till the earthquake comes and breaks all the electrical connections. What will you do? Huh? You will have no answer. And have served them and worshipped them and have forsaken me and have not kept my law. And you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, you walk each one after the stubbornness of his evil heart without hearkening to me. All right. So God made it known. Yes, indeed. God has made it clear. Let's come over here to chapter 17. All right. 
Here's how bad it is. How deep is sin in people? Verse 1. The sin of Judah, or anyone in the same category, is engraven with the pen of iron and the point of a diamond, and is carved upon the tablet of their heart and upon the horns of their altars. Quite a thing. They ever repent? Will any of these Sunday-keeping ministers have the guts and the courage and the honesty to stand in the pulpit and tell the people that God's Sabbath day is to be kept today. Now then, they will say, oh, we don't want to be under law. They don't understand. If you keep the Sabbath, and if you keep the commandments of God, you are not under law, you are within law. What you do now is under law, which is the penalty for your sins. And you claim the grace of God. And you claim the love of God. But you won't love him. You despise his Sabbath. You despise his holy days and think that you are righteous. Let's come here to verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, whose heart departs from the Lord. Okay? That's what it is today. He shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. He shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and the salt land that is not inhabited. All right? Now notice verse 7. Remember this. Always in the midst of the pronouncement of punishments coming from God, God looks out for the one who is seeking him. Verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. See that? Right there. That's what we need for us today. We need the blessing of God, the protection of God, the righteousness of God, and everything that God wants us to do. Okay? And it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the waters that sends its roots out to the river, and shall not fear when the heat comes but its foliage shall be green and shall not be worried in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Now then, here's the opposite. Okay? Because verse 5 ties in with verse 7. And how many times have we covered this verse 7? Okay? We do all the time with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? Right? tells you what a human nature is. And this is what we're dealing with out there. See? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That is true. 
The self-deception of individuals is just absolutely overwhelming. See, those who have the Spirit of God love God, love His truth, obey His voice, live by every word of God. That's why we're here. And this is how we use the Spirit of God to judge what we do and what we say and what we think. Isn't that right? Okay. There's the blessing again in the midst of deep trouble. For the Lord searches the heart, I try the reins and give to each one according to his way, according to the fruit of his doings. Amazing thing, isn't it? God does this to every individual on the earth. He has the power. See? So wherever the people of God are in this world, some we know of, some we don't know of, that they are following the ways of God. I'll come down to verse 12. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Again, God brings the prophet to his throne. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and as we will see next week, Ezekiel. And we will see also after that, the church and Christ and the events in the book of Revelation. Amazing what God does. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from you shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord. Now this is Jeremiah saying, because he's, stricken and wounded in heart and mind and emotion, having to speak these words to these people that are stubborn, that are stone, just how shall you say, like it says there in verse 1, the sin is engraven with a point of iron and a diamond on the hearts. So he says, heal me and I shall be healed. Me, Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Okay. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of God? Let it come now. So then he has to continue on with all of the terrible things that they were doing. And we are entering an age right now, we are past the threshold of it beginning. We're seeing it multiply. We're seeing it become worse. Everyone is trying to to solve the problems. They can make a little adjustment here and a little adjustment there, but unless they come to God on his terms, there will be no relief. And that's why those of us in the church of God, we need to stay close to God. We need to stay close to each other. We need to love each other. We need to to keep that in mind and understand that we are facing difficult and dark days ahead. 
and we need to pray that God will give us the strength to move forward as he wants us to. Now, we have much more to say because there's a lot that's going to happen. And all of this is going to lead up to the preparation of Passover and how important that that will be for us.